When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's been six months since Vladimir Putin shocked vaccine researchers around the world. Russia has become the first country to give regulatory approval to a COVID-19 vaccine. Back in August, amid much fanfare, the Russian president announced that Russia's Sputnik vaccine had become the first in the world to be approved for use before clinical trials had even finished. Around the globe, suspicions grew that Russia had cut corners. Having a vaccine and proving that a vaccine is safe and effective are two different things. I hope that the Russians have actually definitively proven that the vaccine is safe and effective. I seriously doubt that they've done that. Shortly afterwards, this podcast revealed a Russian disinformation campaign aimed at discrediting the competition. Propaganda spreading fear about the vaccine pushed by Russia. Astonishing story. Whatever will they come up with next? But now, as of two weeks ago, Sputnik has the backing of medical experts, including The Lancet. But for many countries around the world, suspicions about the Russian vaccine linger. Did the Kremlin shoot itself in the foot? Did it inadvertently become the Sputnik vaccine's worst enemy? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, how Russia's vaccine disinformation war backfired. Remember this. An investigation by The Times has exposed a Russian disinformation campaign aimed at discrediting the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. A Times investigation traces the campaign directly to the Russian state. Back in October, our investigation into Russia's campaign against the Oxford vaccine made headlines around the world. And today, we're following up to find out what happened next. First, a recap. It was supposed to be a covert operation. There was even a cover story in place in case questions were asked. A chain of people across the world would secretly plant propaganda on social media to discredit the Oxford vaccine. In October, I spoke to one of those people, someone who was involved with a project to disseminate lies on behalf of Russia. They were so alarmed by what this campaign would do 
in the middle of a global pandemic, that they showed me the material. We now had evidence that provided a rare view of the inner workings of a Russian disinformation campaign. One which at the time was being peddled around the world. It targeted influencers on social media, offering them money to spread images and videos online, all with the same theme. If you take the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, it turns you into a monkey. The images showed variations on the theme. Monkeys in lab coats, clutching injections that say AstraZeneca on them. A queue of people going into a building which says AstraZeneca and coming out as a line of monkeys. In others, they played with famous images, memes to make the point. A vintage poster for King Kong now featured the enormous gorilla holding a tiny woman in one paw and brandishing a giant injection in the other. Every image named AstraZeneca or the monkey vaccine. There were some impressively edited videos too, like this one. The news is playing out in a hospital ward. It mentions Oxford, and after an injection, patients turn into monkeys and the TV screens show chaos breaking out across the city as monkeys leap down to take over the streets. Another video shows astronauts who were vaccinated before they left Earth turning into monkeys mid-mission and attacking each other in space. They were all designed to discredit the Oxford vaccine, Sputnik's closest competition, and fuel a culture of fear and suspicion. The evidence we saw showed that this was a campaign involving state officials in Russia. It targeted more than a dozen countries all over the world. Russia wanted to secure a global market for its own vaccine, but that wasn't all. It's not just about wanting to capture markets, as far as the Russians are concerned. Mark Galliotti is a Russia expert and a senior associate fellow at the think tank RUSI. I called him back in October as I was working on this investigation. Here you have this pariah nation, one that has been disparaged as a source of destabilization and subversion. And now suddenly they might be amongst the first to actually have a vaccine for coronavirus. It's no coincidence that they called the vaccine Sputnik 5. Sputnik 1, the Soviet space satellite. They want this to be a Sputnik moment. Until two days ago, that sound had never been heard on this earth. It's a report from man's farthest frontier, the radio signal transmitted by the Soviet Sputnik. Just as with the satellite and the Soviet Union sort of seemed to demonstrate its technological prowess, so too with this. The COVID vaccine market is worth tens of billions of dollars. There are huge financial rewards for producing a successful vaccine, but there was clearly more at stake for Russia. This is part of Putin's campaign to basically make Russia look like a great power. But they also obviously need to claw down their competitors to make it look all the more impressive. The social media clips were going to be used in Russia too, but only after they'd already been released in other countries. Then they'd be used as part of a mass media campaign run by Russian state TV, which would use the images 
that they themselves had planted around the world as evidence of other countries having fears about the Oxford vaccine. We have signed several agreements with India. We expect to produce around 300 million doses of vaccine a year in India alone. As the disinformation campaign was being planned, Russia was on the verge of signing contracts for Sputnik with countries including India, Brazil, Saudi Arabia, the Philippines and Argentina. The disinformation would spread far beyond that initial list. They are countries where the information systems are quite weak and rumours spread rapidly. That's Edward Lucas speaking to me back in October. Rather helpfully, he's a Times columnist who also works at a think tank monitoring Russian and Chinese influence operations. And one instantly recalls that back in the 80s, when the KGB was trying to spread the quite false idea that the CIA had invented HIV, the virus that causes AIDS, they started off by doing that in a communist-controlled newspaper in India. And then it spread from India as a big English-speaking country around the world and ended up being something that was widely believed in the United States. So this is probably the place to start. You might not get so far on this if you're trying to spread it in someone like Germany or or the UK, where the public's a bit more sceptical. But once it's taken root in these countries and elsewhere in the world, it then becomes much more a thing and the Russian fingerprints disappear. But this was no ordinary disinformation campaign. By destroying confidence in a COVID vaccine, they'd be gambling with lives. As one former intelligence officer told me, it's ruthless and determined. People may be surprised by this, but if you've worked on Russian disinformation, you know it's just the way they work. It all seemed to have been sparked by a moment of doubt. Let me take you back to early September. AstraZeneca pausing its global trials of a coronavirus vaccine. A participant in the UK suffering an adverse reaction, causing that stoppage. The pharmaceutical manufacturer is calling this pause in the trial routine, uh, but it is unclear how long it will last. There was a pause in all of the Oxford vaccines trials. My colleague Tom Whipple, the Times science editor, takes up the tale. A woman suffered a condition called transverse myelitis, which is an immunological condition to do with the spinal cord. And there were worries that the vaccine might have caused that. So in all of these trials, if there is an apparent serious side effect, then they will pause the trials to investigate. And that's exactly what happened in this case. In a well-regulated trial process, pauses like this aren't unusual. What you've got to realise is if you're testing this many people, there is an extremely good chance, in fact, it's probably more likely than not, that there will be some sort of illness that will befall one of the volunteers that could have been caused by the vaccine and that needs to be investigated. So these pauses are completely normal. And in the UK, it was judged that, well, the the woman got better, but it was judged that it wasn't caused by the vaccine and we resumed the trials. When it was announced that AstraZeneca had resumed trials of the vaccine in September, Kirill Dmitriev, the head of the Russian Direct Investment Fund, which is funding the Sputnik V vaccine, said the suspension of trials showed the fallacy of the approach and criticised Oxford's use of a monkey adenovirus vector. He also wrote an article for a number of papers around the world saying the monkey vaccine, as he referred to it, had a fatal flaw. In a round of TV interviews, he reiterated the same message. 
So Russia focused on human adenovirus has been proven before. Britain focused quite a bit on monkey adenovirus. There has never been a registered vaccine based on monkey adenovirus. No long-term effects have ever been studied. In a TV interview in the Philippines, he went further. Please show us your studies that show that monkey adenovirus vaccine, that is AstraZeneca's British vaccine, have no long-term effects on increasing risk for cancer and infertility. With no evidence whatsoever, he linked the Oxford vaccine to two of the medical conditions most likely to create fear. And every time he mentioned AstraZeneca, he talked about monkeys. I mean, the, the only people who've been calling it the monkey vaccine are the Russians. So it was tested on monkeys, and right, that's what you do. It was tested on macaques to see how protective it was against infection. Separately, I'm sure that the Russian focus group polling has determined that monkey vaccine is a better way to slander this. But actually, it's to be completely taxonomically correct, it's chimpanzee vaccine, if they, if they wish to insult it properly. It uses chimpanzee adenovirus, virus that sort of attacks chimpanzees. And it's actually a very, very similar mechanism to the one being used by the Russian vaccine. They use a chimpanzee adenovirus because it's less likely that your immune system will itself mount a defence against the vaccine. So how did a scientific process morph into such a wild social media campaign? And who was behind it? Normally, at this point, we tell you a bit about how we sourced the material. But stories about Russia offer a whole new set of challenges in protecting sources. There's not much we can tell you, except that we saw evidence showing how the campaign was being coordinated in Moscow by officials from the Russian state. It referred to the state-owned manufacturer of the Russian vaccine as the client who commissioned the campaign. So the campaign was ready. The scene was set. And some of the images had already started to appear on Russian state TV. That's the Vesti program on September the 13th. It's the main nightly news program. The presenter stands in front of two giant images from the social media campaign. One is a poster of King Kong clutching a syringe. The other of Uncle Sam pointing with the words, I want you to take the monkey vaccine, emblazoned beneath it. It's exactly what the strategy had set out. But we know there was anxiety at the Vesti programme that these images hadn't actually shown up on social media yet. And just before that part of the campaign was due to go live, our investigation blew the lid off it. The reaction was immediate. It made headlines around the world. Propaganda spreading fear about the vaccine pushed by Russia. The picture, helpfully, they, the Russians helpfully showing a picture of a, an angry uh, monkey in this. Astonishing story. Whatever will they come up with next? The whole campaign had to be shut down. The Foreign Secretary, Dominic Raab, condemned the tactics we'd exposed. 
Frankly, it's a shabby piece of disinformation. Any attempt to spread lies about COVID-19 and, and the vaccine in particular, when we're trying to come together as an international community to resolve a global pandemic, is utterly deplorable. The former head of GCHQ, Sir David Omond, wrote in a letter to the Times... I doubt these lies could be run on Russian media without the active connivance of the Russian authorities. And the Kremlin itself reacted. As President Putin's spokesman told reporters, Russia does not misinform anyone. And, he said, responding to these stories on Russia is turning into a circus. And then, one of the key characters in Russia's war of the vaccines, Kirill Dmitriev. Vladimir Putin's money man got in touch. Hi, Kirill. Hello. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you okay. Can you see me? So I'm in a car, so I'm moving a little bit. Oh, yes, yes, I can see you, yes. I presume you're not terribly happy with us, so tell me your side of things. So, uh, do you want me to comment on the great piece that you did? <laughs> I am very happy for you to do so. Did you hear that? He called it a great piece. He spoke to the Times science editor, Tom Whipple. First of all, we are definitely against any attack or any misrepresentation on uh, any vaccine. We have very compelling evidence, including documentation, that there is a Russian campaign set to be launched. It seems to come from organizations close to the Russian state, including yours. Will you be in investigating this? Because th this isn't a figment of our imagination. We'll definitely look into this. Also, you know, Russian vaccine has been attacked, so I don't know how much credence to give to this. Right, because, but, but so you, you yourself, you yourself have attacked this vaccine. You yourself, whenever you refer to it, call it the monkey vaccine. You allege okay. that it causes cancer. Okay. You are on it the record. Has, okay, you make a very valid point that Russian vaccine is based on a human adenovirus. And how do you want me to call AstraZeneca vaccine if it's based on chimpanzee adenovirus? Well, so give me a term. Well, I mean, the, the first thing is an adenovirus vector vaccine is fine. The strange thing is that we have uncovered this propaganda campaign based around the phrase monkey vaccine, which isn't correct. It's a very strange scientific term to use because, of course, chimpanzees aren't monkeys. And it looks very much like a deliberately orchestrated propaganda attempt. You not only know about this campaign, but you are part of this campaign and orchestrating this campaign. Oh, I mean, you are see, you are doing uh, really uh, strange accusations without trying to understand our point of view. So, first of all, it is based on chimpanzee adenovirus. So, shall we call it chimpanzee adenovirus vaccine? Or give me a term to use. I'll use a term. What's the term you recommend? AstraZeneca vaccine. Okay, but fine. AstraZeneca vaccine. So, a success of sorts. And then, things went quiet for a couple of months. In December, the Oxford vaccine was approved in the UK. At around the same time, Russia started a mass vaccination campaign using Sputnik. After all the boasts about Sputnik and the attempts to discredit the competition, we were about to find out if the strategy had worked or had it backfired. Coming up, an update from our man in Moscow. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saida Varsi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Lots of people talk about us and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. I was at the local opera house, the Helicon Opera House, which was one of a number of sites that Moscow has been using for its, for its vaccination program. Mark Bennett is the Times Moscow correspondent. I gave him a call earlier this week to get an update on how the Sputnik rollout was going. And it turns out he's already had it. It's a 19th century manor house, about five minutes walk from the Kremlin. When you walk in, the first thing you see is the box office, the chandeliers on the ceiling. And then you turn right and you're in the Sputnik V zone. That sounds like quite a grand setting for a vaccine clinic. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I was more attracted to the idea of having a vaccine in, in an opera house rather than a food court. It seems to me it would be more <laughs> cultured to have the vaccine in an opera house. There was a performer wandering around humming a melody, which I presume was an upcoming performance, which kind of added to the ambience of the whole thing. <laughs> I love the idea of them being in the middle of rehearsals. I walked in and I was met by some friendly nurses. The only documents they required was my press card, which is issued by the Russian Foreign Ministry. Then I was taken into a screened-off zone where a nurse put a needle in my arm and then gave me an appointment for 21 days after. And did you have to be invited to have it there or, you know, is, is it by age? How, how was it done? No, I didn't, didn't have to make an appointment. No one invited me. I just decided one Friday after work to go. I was in and out within 30 minutes. Wow. You just turn up and queue? Well, there wasn't a queue. Oh, wow. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, here, there would be a queue around the block, but so you turn up at this grand opera house and there isn't even a queue? And what sort of advice did they give you after you got the jab? Um, they told me to sit down for around 15 minutes to make sure that there were no side effects, not to go to the banya, which is a Russian sauna, and not to drink any alcohol for three days. Not to go to the sauna for, for three days. I, I really hope we get the same advice here. <laughs> now, obviously, you're based in Moscow and the Sputnik vaccine would have been the one that was sort of most easily available. Mm -hmm. Did you have any second thoughts about taking that vaccine in particular or were you quite confident about it? Well, I mean, I was probably one of the last Western journalists here to actually get the vaccine. So I was waiting to see if my colleagues had any side effects, basically. <laughs> none, none of them did or anything serious. And obviously, uh, the Lancet Medical Journal's findings that it was safe and almost 92% effective made my mind up. You don't have to be enthusiastic about the Kremlin's authoritarianism to realise that Russian scientists have a very long and, and proud history. I think it's quite important here to separate politics from science. And to me, refusing to take Russia's Sputnik vaccine would be as ludicrous as someone, for example, in the UK rejecting, say, a British coronavirus vaccine. And also I realised that since the demand here isn't very big, it's not clear how long that's going to last. And so I decided that it would probably be worthwhile getting it now before I would have to queue. And tell me about that. Why is demand so low at the moment? Russia has had a big problem with COVID. There's a number of reasons. It's quite complex. I mean, firstly, mm. Russia's anti-vax community, that's what you can call it, has always been quite vocal anyway, even before coronavirus. And obviously, it had a bigger audience as well, a bigger platform. That's one thing. A lot of few people distrust the government anyway on anything. I mean, I was at another private clinic recently, and I asked a the nurse there if she'd had it, had the vaccine, and she said, no, nah, no way. I don't trust these kind of things. A nurse? 
a nurse said that. Yeah, yeah. She didn't didn't give any more, more details, but it's quite common. People just don't really seem to trust it. There was an article in an opposition newspaper yesterday, an editorial, which tried to address this kind of hesitancy. And its basic idea was that people are left kind of uncomfortable by the idea that even if there are Russian achievements, then the authorities try to use them immediately as kind of some kind of uh, like hybrid war and to kind of increase the geopolitical influence. People just look at this as propaganda and that's why they don't trust it. That's so interesting. So it's not that they don't trust the science, but they don't trust the government not to get involved in some way. Yeah. I mean, inter- interesting, I think the real paradox of this is it's actually been opposition journalists who have been pushing the vaccine more than kind really? of the usual, yeah, more than the usual kind of patriots that you would see who just seem very distrustful of the whole thing. I mean, obviously state television is saying the vaccine is good, but opposition journalists are, are very passionate about the vaccine, I would say. And um, they were some of the first people to go and get it and say, like, look, it's a vaccine. We should all go and get it ready. I mean, these are scientists. These aren't criminal assassins who have been tasked with killing you all. One um, opposition journalist said that paradoxically, we are all now kind of relying on state propaganda. And his, his argument was that if Kremlin propaganda can convince Russians that Ukrainians are their kind of bitter enemies, then they should be able to overcome Russians' hesitancy about the vaccine. <laughs> that is bizarre. And is the state propaganda working or is it counterintuitively? Is it the propaganda that is the problem? Is it that people feel like whatever they're being told, whether it's scientific results and the results of perfectly legitimate tests, they, they feel it's propaganda instead. I think it's more a case that the messaging is very mixed on state television because firstly, they downplay the number of deaths. And by downplaying the number of deaths, how do you convince people to go and take the vaccine? I mean, not everyone's sitting down reading The Lancet. And the messaging as well. I mean, late last year, there's a health program in Russia called, funnily enough, Health. And they were talking about coronavirus and the theme of the program that day was the good news about coronavirus. And the good news about coronavirus, it turned out, was that it wasn't particularly infectious, that it was safe for children to hang out with their grandparents. And there was an 82-year-old guest on it, and he said, so, I can go and hang out with the kids. And the show said to him, you can and you must. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, she was citing Swedish research, I think, which I couldn't actually find anywhere. I mean, that's quite alarming. So is that something that the government has sort of encouraged in the past? Because a lot of the fake news turning up online does seem to be coming out of Russia. I mean, there's a difference here between saying coming out of Russia and being pushed by the Russian government. The truth is, sometimes we never know where these things are coming from. I don't think there's a concerted effort within the Kremlin. I don't think Putin is orchestrating a campaign to make the world wary of vaccines. That would be a gross exaggeration. But at the same time, I wouldn't exclude that there are people who are close to or feel that they are close to the Kremlin who are trying to discredit the idea of of Western vaccines. As far as I know, today morning, So take me back to the start. Six months ago, last August, Vladimir Putin held a a Zoom meeting with his cabinet, which was broadcast on state TV. It was supposed to be preparing for the new school year, but that's when he suddenly dropped the news that Russia had approved the Sputnik vaccine. As far as I know, this morning, for the first time in the world, a vaccine against the novel coronavirus infection was registered. And one of his daughters had even had it. Mm -hmm. One might say she took part in the experiment. 
How did that play out? What was the reaction? I mean, this was before anybody else was close to announcing their vaccine was safe. It's very clear that it it was a PR move. I mean, aside from clinical trials, the first people to get it in Russia didn't get it until December. So, I mean, the fact that they approved it in August didn't really make any difference. The popular idea seemed to be that Putin had said, we have this coronavirus thing and that the Russian doctors were just running around places like jabbing needles into people's arms, you know, without having tested it or anything. Well, no, that wasn't the case at all. I mean, it was obviously just like a soft power move, you know, to say that we were the first, we have the first vaccine. And also, I mean, if we accept that the Kremlin was keen to use the vaccine for soft power purposes, then we also have to accept that Russia was never going to release a vaccine that would cause people to drop down dead in the streets after taking it. You know, I mean, that would seem that would seem a little <laughs> self-defeating, to put it mildly. And do you think actually that soft power move did it sort of backfire? You know, if they had held on and waited for some of the tests to be published and some of the results to come out, and people had realised how, you know, the efficacy rates are very high, do you think if they'd waited until then, waited until December, for example, people around the world, including in Russia, would have more faith in it? I mean, in Russia, yeah, definitely. There was a poll carried out a few months ago where a significant number of medics Doctors, nurses said they weren't going to take the vaccines. And one of the reasons they said was because they hadn't seen any results yet. As for internationally, I tend to think that relations between Russia and the West are so bad now that whatever Russia had done, I mean, without wishing to sound like a Kremlin propagandist, however Russia had handled this, people would have been suspicious. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Are you tired of wearing masks? Are you sick of washing hands all day? Are you afraid COVID-19 will kill you before Putin has chance to? Then try Mother Russia's new COVID vaccine, Sputnik V. And when you have the Daily Show portraying Russia's vaccines being developed by a bear with a guy with a heavy Russian accent. It is guaranteed safe and effective. How do we know? Because it was tested on a bear by a scientist who was also a bear. I mean, I don't don't think that's helpful. No. I also think the reaction from the West to Putin's statement, which I think was understandable, but that was kind of the spark for the vaccine propaganda war that we then saw, which led to Russia accusing the Oxford vaccine of being a monkey virus, for example. And did it help people in Russia that Putin announced that his daughter had had it? Did that instill any confidence? I don't think so, honestly. First, he didn't say which daughter. He has two. He didn't say which daughter had it. So, I mean, it might have helped if he said which daughter. Is, is there one he prefers? It's interesting <laughs> that they haven't. They still haven't both had it. Um, well, he doesn't name his daughters, so he, he, he never, never says their names out loud. Apart from announcing that his own daughter had had it, I remember even back then there was talk that Putin himself was about to be vaccinated. It's now February and he still hasn't been. Would it have helped vaccine hesitancy in Russia if they could just see Vladimir Putin being jabbed? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely possible that he had it months ago and that the Kremlin, not because it doesn't want to admit the coronavirus is a problem, but because they don't want to ruin his image as this kind of like superhero, ludicrous as it seems. I think if Putin had rolled up his sleeves live live on television and had the Sputnik jab, that would have influenced people to a degree. It's kind of hard to say, but it's uh, hypothetical anyway, because Putin said the other day that he's going to have the jab maybe in autumn, because he has other jabs coming up for flu and pneumonia, and he's not going to go on television anyway because he doesn't want to be a performing monkey. He still manages to get a monkey in there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I think another thing that made people slightly suspicious in the West and Russia was when Pfizer reported that its vaccine was 90% efficient, Russia immediately came out and said Sputnik was 92%. And then when Moderna said its findings indicated that its, its vaccine was 94 then Russia immediately said, how's it 95? <laughs> I think uh, obviously that, that made people quite suspicious about what, what actually was going on with the clinical trials. And what was going on with that? I mean, had they had new trials and come up with new figures or, I mean, was that propaganda? Because you're right, that sort of the sequencing is <laughs> does sound quite suspicious. I tried to analyze these results when they came out with 95, and it didn't seem to make any sense. And so I tried to contact Sputnik's press office, and she didn't reply to me. They seem to have sometimes this kind of like Soviet mindset. We say how it is, and then you don't question it. But I thought the description of Sputnik as unpretentious and reliable, like a Kalashnikov AK-47 assault rifle, was kind of nice, you know I mean? Let's hope <laughs> it's as reliable as, as a Kalashnikov AK-47. That's a fantastic description. Mm-hmm. I mean, has that sort of approach worked? You know, some people are still dubious about Sputnik. On the other hand, you know, they've sold more than a billion doses mm-hmm. in over 50 countries. And it is it's clearly going to be one of the main vaccines that will be used across the world. Has the Kremlin's strategy been successful in handling this? I mean, there was a piece on Bloomberg last week which basically said Russia has been Sputnik's worst enemy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you think there's some truth in that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the, the propaganda efforts backfired. This is not the, uh, a story about the victory for Kremlin propaganda. I think it's a story about the victory for Russian science, which, despite all the pressures put on it by the Kremlin and despite all the propaganda, appears to have come up with a vital vaccine to hopefully reduce death rates throughout the world. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. My guest today was Times Moscow correspondent Mark Bennett, and earlier we heard from science editor Tom Whipple, columnist Edward Lucas, and Russia expert Mark Galliotti. The producer was James Shield. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. And sound design was by Carla Patella and James Shield. If you have a story that you think we should be covering, any thoughts on what you've just heard, or any tip-offs about forthcoming global disinformation campaigns, then please do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.